Hey everybody, it's Allie, and welcome to our YNR chat for Sunday, May 27th, 2012. Danny's back, and I really was glad to see him. Danny looks pretty good. You have to admit, he's aged well. He, I just, yes, I, I believe I find him attractive. <laughs> And he's a good actor, too. Michael Damien is a really good actor. Danny is just level-headed. He's he's mellowed with age, but he's, he's just got this cool vibe about him. He represents so much of YNR history, and I really enjoy having him around. I think that he is an interesting character. He's a good guy. How many guys would even still speak to Phyllis after everything that she did to him. In many ways, Phyllis ruined his life. She gave him Daniel, which is good, but Danny's not even Daniel's biological father. I think it says a lot about Danny's character that he accepts Daniel as his child. We, you know, we've never really even seen that much of Daniel's biological father, who is a guy named Brian Hamilton. I barely remember him. I think that Phyllis just duped him into uh, getting her pregnant so that she could pass off the child as Danny's. My memory is a little bit fuzzy. There's so many new, like, there's so many old people coming back onto the scene right now, Danny and Christine, and we're really exploring Phyllis's history, but YNR's only just dipping our toes into the pool. I was watching at that time, of course. I just have a very fuzzy memory. <laughs> but I like that these old historical elements are being woven into the show in a new kind of way, and it's impossible to ignore the incredible parallels that are happening between Daniel and Daisy's story and Phyllis and Danny's story. And Daniel took Lucy to go see Danny this week, realizing that he is in that almost exact situation. Although I don't know precisely how much Daniel knows about everything that went on between his parents, but he knows enough <laughs> to recognize that he's traveling down a similar path, and he's starting to question himself. He's starting to wonder whether he made the right decision in asking Daisy to marry him. Of course, he's trying to do it for his child, but he's wondering if he's throwing away a piece of his life uh, with this sham marriage. So he takes Lucy to go meet her grandfather, Danny, after a show, and I really appreciated the talk between Danny and Daniel. I was surprised with the approach that Danny took. He really fully supported Daniel's decision here. You would have expected him to say, look, son, I don't want you to repeat the same mistakes that I made. I think that you should be Lucy's father, but you don't necessarily have to be involved with Daisy to do that. But that's not what Dan Danny said. Danny said, stick with it. You've made your decision, and I think you should follow through with it. And I'm there to support you, no matter what you choose. How did you guys feel about that? Were you surprised? I just assumed that Danny's reaction would be totally the opposite. And it's, I, I just don't see that the path is going to end any other way for Daniel. It's similar in, in that the situation that they find themselves in with the child is similar, but there, I guess there is a difference in that. We can't forget, Daniel asked Daisy to marry him. It was his idea. Phyllis was much more hardcore. Phyllis was pushy with Danny. I'm pretty sure that he felt he had to marry her, but it was clearly what she wanted all along. I believe that when Daniel asked Daisy to marry uh, him, she Daisy was completely caught off guard. I don't think she saw that coming from a mile away. So there are some differences, but <sighs> Daisy is just trying too hard. She's 
driving Daniel nuts. He is going stir-crazy in his own apartment. She's hovering over him. She's breathing down his neck every five minutes, just like, we're a family, Daniel. I want, I'm a wife. I deserve to know what's going on with you. And I can't help but think that Danny's advice, although well-intentioned and even-keeled and as awesome as Danny is, I just can't help but thinking that he should have screamed out to Daniel, run the other way as fast as you can! Ricky genuinely scares me. <laughs> he frightens me if in the depths of my soul. He really does. Without thinking about it, he frightens me. It's not just, oh, he makes a really good soap villain. There's something about him that scares me. <laughs> and every time I'm watching it, I'm, I feel creeped out by him. It's such a visceral reaction that I'm having, and that that's that's what makes a good character. It's, I'm not even thinking about the fact that he's a soap villain. I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, this guy is insane. And he really, every week, finds a way to take it to the next level. Just as soon as Daniel took Lucy and left Danny at the rock concert, we find out that Danny has an interview scheduled with a reporter... <laughs> Named Ricky Williams. And <clears throat> Ricky just sits down in a chair across from Danny and he starts out lightly asking him questions about his music. And little by little, he just starts to probe questions that are in and around his relationship with Phyllis. Questions that are just way too personal for Danny and that totally ring a bell in Danny's mind. He realizes that something about this situation is not right. <laughs> so <clears throat> he finds a way to have Ricky escorted out of the building by security, but it's quite clear what Ricky was after. And Danny calls Phyllis right away, says, hey, do you know this guy named Ricky Williams? He was asking questions about yet. Seems like the guy is holding a grudge. You might want to beware. And Phyllis, I think she's concerned about it, but not overly. She's so many folks, so focused on so many other things that I don't think she realizes what the immediate threat is. I don't think she takes him seriously, and she should, because I think, oh my goodness, of all of the matches that Phyllis has had over the years, I think that Ricky might finally be her best match. I think that he might be the one who could finally best her. And she needs to be way more concerned than she is. Everybody that comes in contact with Ricky seems to realize how dangerous he is and seems to get these chills, except Phyllis. She's just got these blinders on, I think. I don't think she is really realizing the seriousness of the situation. Even Christine, who's back in town this week, had a run-in with Ricky, and they met at the coffee house. At first glance, he seemed like a nice kid. If Christine hadn't had prior conversations with Paul about Paul's suspicions around his son, I think that Christine might have been fooled. But Ricky was all, I'm really sorry about the things that my mother did to you. I'm trying to turn a new leaf. You know, blah, blah, blah. Innocent Ricky. And Christine later met up with Paul and said, he set off every alarm bell that I had. He hit all of the spots. Christine just has this instinct because Ricky is so slick. I think I probably would have fallen for it. I, he was so nice and I thought maybe he was going to fool her, but he didn't. Not even for a moment. She knew right away. She nailed his game. I, she has experience in this. His mother tried to kill her. She knows all of the warning signs. But it was a very interesting meeting between the two and Christine picked up on the fact that he's trying to angle for information on Phyllis. It's his main motivation. He's got a lot of side evil going on, but at the same time, clearly what he's really driving at is getting even with Phyllis, and he couldn't help himself from bringing her up. He, oh, he, he actually witnessed this wonderful little scene between Phyllis and Christine at the coffee house where Phyllis called Christine a bitch under her breath. And Christine comes back to Phyllis and says, 
really? Did did you? Are we children? Is this high school? You're you're calling me a bitch under your breath, which I agree was so completely immature of Phyllis. But Phyllis, <laughs> no remorse, no shame whatsoever. Just looks at Christine and says, "You know, you're right." I should have said it to your face. <laughs> I almost forgot how, how good those two are as enemies. Christine's like this, has always been this pure white snow angel, and Phyllis is this red fiery devil. They're so good together. So that was a wonderful scene, but it made Ricky realize that, hmm, there's a story here. And so that's where he's prying around. He's interested in what happened uh, in and around that relationship between Phyllis and Christine and Danny. So Ricky, oh my goodness, makes a trip over to Restless Style when Phyllis is not there and there's some newbie working the desk. He manages to get the girl away from the desk, sends her off to the art department while he when no one's around, has a seat over at Phyllis's desk and manages to implant some kind of monitoring device <laughs> on her computer. <laughs> so it essentially has a, a, a live stream of everything that's going on in front of Phyllis's computer. So Ricky installs this software, hightails it out of there, goes back to the athletic club and just sits on his computer and is able to watch what Phyllis is doing, which happens to be the first face-to-face -face meeting between Danny and Phyllis, which was so good. It, oh, it just brings back so many memories <laughs> of Phyllis's craziness. Like, I just on a side note, Phyllis is such a, a changed character. She, gosh, I mean, I wonder, like, this is probably very rude to me, but Phil, Michelle Stafford doesn't really even look the same as she did back then. I think she's had some work done. I don't know what... But I think she's had a little bit of work done because she, she she looks more pampered and pretty than she did back then. Back then she was just kind of like she wasn't even I didn't ever think Phyllis was that attractive. Maybe it was the way they were making her up or whatever. But she's such a goddess now. And back then she was just this redheaded stepchild. And she's had this complete transformation. But it's wonderful to see the scenes between her and Danny because you start to see these little peaks, just, just the little flashes of the old Phyllis, which as crazy as you kids think that Phyllis is now, if you haven't been watching the show for that long, she was worse back then. She was wild and wacky and way, way over the top. You have no idea. I can't wait for you guys to see the flashbacks if you haven't been watching um, if you do, if you're not aware. And for those veterans like me, I know you're looking forward to him too, because it was an interesting time in YNR history. But Danny and Phyllis meet at her office, and they start to argue about Daniel, of course. Phyllis thinks that Daniel's making a mistake, and she doesn't want him married to Daisy, and she's willing to force, force, force the issue. Whereas Daniel, Danny, I'm sorry, is taking a very different approach to the situation, and he's so rational and Phyllis is so irrational. Danny is like, look, he's our son. We need to support him. Uh, he, he barely even, he didn't even push. Like Danny merely points out to Phyllis that she's not really helping the situation by pushing Daniel. And Phyllis flips out all over the place. She starts just bringing up old stuff. She, or, or she, you know, she, she says something to him like, are you really going to, what are you saying? She brings it up that the situation is similar to what she did to Danny. And then she says, oh, are you really going to bring that up? Like she flips it around on him. She brings it up and then blames it on him. She's so irrational. <laughs> she really is. I like Phyllis, but dang, that scene during with, with her and Danny, I just thought, give the guy a break. After everything you've done to him, you, why, you know, she, Phyllis just refuses to take any responsibility for her own actions. She refuses to acknowledge that she did that to him. Danny wasn't there to drudge up the past. He didn't want to talk about 
the way that she affected his life. He didn't, Danny didn't want to make this about Danny. Danny was trying to make it about Daniel and supporting their son. And here Phyllis has to bring up all of the old stuff. And she says something to him about Christine. She, Phyllis is the one that brings Christine into the picture. Oh, Danny, is it about cricket? Is it about Christine? And Danny's like, I wasn't even gonna go there. But you know what? As a matter of fact... You did destroy my chance with Christine. She did. Phyllis destroyed Danny and Christine's relationship on purpose. She took great pains to destroy Danny and Christine's wonderful love. She did the same thing just purely out of hatred for Christine. Then she turned around and did it to Christine and Paul. After Christine and Danny's relationship didn't work out, Christine engaged on a long-term relationship with Paul and just purely out of spite and hatred, Phyllis kept going after her. Well, you can't erase that from the landscape, Phyllis. You can't pretend that that never happened. And that's exactly what she's trying to do. She refuses to acknowledge, A, that she did it, and B, she refuses to apologize for it. It's annoying. It's an annoying personality trait of hers. And it's just starting to all bubble back up to the surface, that complete irrationality, that complete disregard for... (laughs) just, I don't know, being civilized? Just a reality? She completely just is disengaged from reality, and she goes into this flaming, crazy woman. And I think, in large part, since she's not motivated by love for Danny anymore, she seems to still be motivated by her hatred for Christine. And this is something... That Danny pointed out. He said, you know, I'm not the one that's living in the past here. You're the one that's living in the past. It seems like you're still holding on to all of this anger in and around Christine, and you need to deal with that issue. (sighs) I kind of hope that Danny and Christine get their chance. I have no idea how long they're both on the show for this time, but I wish it was permanent. That would be awesome. I love seeing Christine. I say it every time. The woman clearly knows where the Fountain of Youth is and has not disclosed this information (laughs) to anyone else. I don't know what makeup, what product Laura Lee Bell be using, but (laughs) her face is like creamy smooth. The woman, as she's, she's, she is not aged. She looks the same as the day she left. It almost, like, what is it? What is the secret? I want to (laughs) know. And Danny, again, also looks really good. So I kind of hope they keep both of these characters on here. Minor's doing a really good job of satisfying the veteran viewers, I think, right now. And I hope that finally it will be wonderful to see if they get their chance because at the very end of Friday's show, Danny and Christine run into each other at the athletic club and we saw from the previews of Monday's show that he's going to ask her for a drink, to stay for a drink, and maybe they're going to reconnect a little bit. That's going to be so fun. I just, I want it to be permanent. I want it to be awesome. And I can't wait to see how Ricky gets in there and digs it all up. Not only digging up the old story, but digging up the old emotions and seeing what that's going to do. Meanwhile, Paul is trying to get to the bottom of his son's involvement in his ex-girlfriend's death. There are witnesses on the scene, there are people in who were you know who were around the situation and who think that Ricky had something to do with the ex-girlfriend's death and Paul needs to know. I think Paul just wants to <laughs> conceptualize exactly how bad of a father he's bec- he was. Paul clearly feels guilty for not being there for Ricky as he was growing up, and he wasn't. Paul, yeah, Paul was a bad father. He wasn't around, and that's very unfortunate. He's kind of been that way with all of his kids. He just has been an absent father, and he feels guilty about that. But at the same time, I think he wonders if... Ricky just is a bad seed if he just has Isabella's crazy gene. And so he's trying to investigate the situation to know what he's up against, especially since everyone has told him that Ricky has this vendetta for Phyllis. So I think 
Paul is just trying to gauge exactly how dangerous his son is, exactly how dangerous the situation is going to be for Phyllis. So Paul goes to contact this guy who claims to have information about the ex-girlfriend's suicide, or he claims to have proof, in fact, that Ricky was involved. Now, I don't exactly know... I'm not, I'm not completely sure here, because while Paul has that guy as a contact, Ricky has been talking on the phone to somebody who has tipped him off that Paul is asking questions. And I don't know if it's the same guy or a different guy. I guess maybe it's the same guy. I'm just guessing. But uh, Ricky knows that Paul is investigating him. And Paul arranges to have this meeting with the guy who supposedly has the proof at Jimmy's. And Ricky was able to intercept it. That guy never showed up. It was Paul sitting at the bar waiting for him. And then out of nowhere, who walks in the door and just quietly sits next to him? Ricky. (laughs) And love it because Ricky just sits down next to Paul and he's like so what are you doing (laughs) and he knows damn well what Paul's doing there Paul knows damn well that he just got caught it was so subtly evil and it just makes me wonder as much as Phyllis seems to be in danger I worry that Paul is in danger too as as Paul continues to dig up this dirt I think that Ricky would do anything to make sure that Paul doesn't find out the truth. Anything. Genevieve has really gone from the top of the world to the bottom of someone's shoe. She has fallen from grace in a big, bad way. She's had to hire Leslie to defend her against uh, charges that are surrounding her. She is literally surrounded by people who are wanting to try to take her down. And I don't think any lawyer is going to be able to help get her out of it. It was nice seeing Leslie, but I don't know how successful Leslie is going to be because there's an SEC investigation. There is a Department of Justice investigation, which is big. And then there's Jack's lawsuit kind of on the side. Jack is suing uh, her for taking information from him in order to make her bid for beauty of nature. So it's everywhere. And of course, there's a question of where beauty of nature is going to fall at the end of the day. Now, the thing I don't know, I don't get exactly is well, Jack won his lawsuit. Well, he didn't win the lawsuit. He won one. He made a. He made steps toward winning his lawsuit this week. The judge essentially ruled that Jack's lawsuit is valid. He has a valid reason to go ahead and proceed with his lawsuit against Genevieve. But the thing I don't get, I guess, is that why does Jack's lawsuit mean that? Victor's sale, Victor's ability to gain beauty of nature recently is no longer valid. Like, Jack's lawsuit doesn't negate the fact that Victor bought back beauty of nature. You can't, I mean, do you just go back to the point of Adam's sale of beauty of nature and anything that happened after that has just disappeared? That doesn't seem right. And I just don't think that just because... Uh, Genevieve bought the company illegally, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's that Jack's going to get it, that it's just going to go to the next highest bidder. That just doesn't make sense to me. And I can't imagine that Victor couldn't countersue. It just almost seems like it's becoming all so convoluted and unnecessarily so around Beauty of Nature. But Beauty of Nature is the last of Genevieve's concerns. She's gonna lose all her money. I don't see any way around losing all of her money. The thing that she really needs to avoid is the jail time, because Christine is there as a representative from the Department of Justice, and she wants to take Genevieve down, and she's willing to take everybody down in her vicinity if she needs to. She's willing to take Kane down specifically, and I just feel really bad for Kane right now because his his mother is always getting in his way. Genevieve has been nothing but a drain on him from the moment that she came into town. And 
it just makes me go, it, it redeems Kane in so many ways for me, realizing what kind of person Genevieve really is. And that, uh, it just, I like her, but I also don't. <laughs> I also don't. I think that she tried to play with the big boys and she got herself into really bad trouble. And it ticks me off that she might be taking Kane down with her. And he, it just everything about her is a pain in his butt. For just even starting with the simple fact that Kane tried to arrange this romantic breakfast for Lily. He had her favorite coffee from France all brewed up and ready for her. He had uh, croissants and he just had like a, a nice little romantic breakfast set up for her. Strawberries and just all this wonderful stuff and they were hugging and kissing and as soon as they just about get to the good part, they're just probably about gonna make love. Ding dong! The door. And who's standing there? Christine. And Christine comes in to question Kane about what he knows f uh, regarding Genevieve. And I don't even know that Kane really knows anything. It's just a matter of they want to question him and they want straight answers from him. And he doesn't want to do it as much of a pain in the butt as his mother has been. He doesn't want to be the one to throw her under the bus. I don't know why he had no problem doing it with Colin when Genevieve seems fairly equally despicable to me. I think he just doesn't want to be responsible for that. And he tells Christine that. Kane managed to dodge the SEC questions, but Christine comes in with the Department of Justice and says, you're not going to be able to dodge it with me. If you don't answer our questions, we're going to make you pay. She intimated that they might set him up as uh, as some kind of cohort and everything that went down with Genevieve. But then the larger problem became that she said that they would deport him if he didn't answer questions, which is so concerning. Kane's got a family. He's got a life here. Lily has a family. Lily has a life here. And it just bothers me that Genevieve is the cause of all of this. I'm really surprised with how hard line Christine is being with Kane. I just don't feel like Kane really even knows anything. I mean, I guess he can attest. Maybe that's not true. I mean, I guess he can attest to any business dealings that the family had going on in Australia. So that's true. It's not so I don't think Kane knows a whole lot about Genevieve's business dealings in Genoa City, but he certainly knows what the family was up to. And maybe that's exactly what they're trying to get at, because they're trying to question the source of her money that she used to buy Beauty of Nature. It's so much bigger than Beauty of Nature at this point. The Department of Justice wants to get their hands on that money is really what it's all about. Collect. But I'm, I don't know, like, I'm surprised to see Christine acting the way she is because Christine, again, has just always been this pure white snow angel. And now all of a sudden she is, I don't know, she's like just this agent of the law and, you know, just saying that she's willing to deport Kane. I mean, come on over, over this. It's just not fair. <laughs> it's just not fair for Kane. His mother is toxic. She's just toxic. Everything Genevieve touches turns to crap, whether it's her relationship with Jack, whatever in the heck has gone on with Victor. I mean, I don't even know if Victor's going to help her at this point or not. Victor said that he was going to help her. Of course, not after telling her to take a hike. It wasn't until Victor realized that if Genevieve goes down, it's going to negate the sale of Beauty of Nature, and Jack is probably going to get it. So Victor realized that he kind of has to help Genevieve. But <laughs> Genevieve may not really accept the help because... As a result of all of Cain, his realizing that he might be deported, he has to tell Lily. He has to confide in her that this is what's going on. There's a very real possibility that I might be going away. And Lily was so supportive. She said, I'm willing to move to Australia if that's what we need to do. I don't want to do it, but I'm just going to look at it like an adventure. How awesome is that? It means that she's going to be taken away from her family, from Neil, from Devon, from everything she's always known, and she's willing to just blindly go with him to Australia so that he doesn't have to testify against Genevieve? 
She is, again, Lily is a saint. She really, really is. But she's scared, too, and this is not what she wants. Lily wants it all to be resolved the way it should be resolved. So she uh, arranges a meeting with Genevieve and pretty much rips Genevieve a new one. Lily has always been really supportive. She's been the one that's tried to bridge that relationship between Kane and Genevieve. And now she realizes that it's Genevieve's crap that has gotten Kane into the situation. And Lily just rips into Genevieve in, I think, a way that cut deep. Even just Genevieve's face during that scene was so hurt. She just thinks that she's already ruined her own life, and she doesn't want to ruin any her son's life any more than she already has either. So after that conversation, Genevieve decides to go and reveal to Victor that she wants to turn herself in, which I think is a really good thing. Just do it, Genevieve. <laughs> Just do it. I'm kind of ready to be done with her. She, she, you know what? She gambled big. She's going to lose big. This week, Neil sought the advice of Genoa City's most sage woman, (laughs) Catherine. And he really was trying to figure out what he's going to do about the situation with Sophia. He doesn't love her. He doesn't know if he's ever going to love her. But he loves his son, and he wants to commit to making things work. So Neil approaches Sophia this week and tells her that he wants to recommit to her. He wants to make their family work at any cost. And there's a brief moment where there are shots of Sophia's face where she seems genuinely touched and hopeful. And then it just slowly starts to turn and she realizes that it's not enough. She straight up asked him, do you love me? You've ne- In all of the time that we've been together, you've never told me that you love me. Do you think that you ever even will? And Neil had to answer honestly. He said, I can't promise you that. They're clearly together because of the child. And Sophia just recognized. I mean, she's no dummy. She doesn't want leftovers. And even though Neil said that he doesn't want Harmony, Harmony's out of the picture. It doesn't really matter because whether it's Harmony or somebody else, Neil's heart is not with her. And it's humiliating to be with someone who doesn't want to be with you. And Sophia's better than that. So she had a little surprise for Neil, too. She uh, whipped out some divorce papers that she had in her purse. And she handed to him and she let him know, I'm filing for divorce, which shocked Neil. But in a way, I think she knows that she is letting him free. She's letting him off the hook, that he doesn't have to be her husband, he doesn't have to commit to her in order to be a good father to Moses. And more importantly, I think Sophia is doing what's best for her. Sophia deserves better than being someone's runner-up prize. Nikki and Jack. I want this. (laughs) I do. I want this. Seeing them together is cute. Seeing them together makes me happy. Being together seems to make both of them happy. And and that's good. What more could we ask for? I'm tired of Victor and Nikki. You know, I I want Jack to be happy. And this just seems like a really good solution. I wasn't 100% into it at first. But seeing them snuggling together on the couch this week sold me. And I just feel more passionate about them than I have in the past. And Jack had asked her to marry him last week. This week she accepted. And they had a wonderful conversation about how good they are for each other. And Jack said that he feels like he wants to spend the rest of his life with Nikki and that 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 would please him. (laughs) The only thing is, (laughs) Jack was sure that he wanted to spend the rest of his life with Genevieve like three months ago. Nikki wasn't even in the picture, and now all of a sudden he, he's ready to spend the rest of... I think Jack is ready to spend the rest of his life with somebody. 
And Nikki fits the bill right now. She's there for him. She's supporting him through everything that's going on. I'm just not so sure that's a bad thing. It's maybe not an ideal thing. It's not the grand romance that Nikki and Victor have. But you can see where the grand romance has led. Nikki and Jack are more convenient. They're more comfortable. They're It just works. The only thing that I can't imagine from Jack's perspective is being okay with knowing that Nikki is inexorably tied to Victor. I don't know that I could be with someone who I knew was still in love with someone else, even if they weren't going to make it work, even if you felt confident that Nikki wasn't going to go back to Victor. Still, uh... She loves him, and Jack seems to take that love in stride. And it bothers me, though, because I think that any time something goes on with Jack or Beauty of Nature, I just feel like Nikki's first reaction is always thinking about Victor. As soon as Jack got the phone call that he had made some progress on his suit against Genevieve and that Beauty of Nature might be his, Nikki was happy for Jack, but it was like five seconds before her thoughts went to, how will this affect Victor? And probably, how can I use this as an excuse to see Victor? <laughs> That's always what it what it is. If Nikki could just let go, I think things would be different. I think she and Jack really do have a chance at a good life together. They're good for each other. I mean, for crying out loud, like, Jack is now all of a sudden getting feeling back which is a great thing. Mrs. Martinez accidentally stepped on his foot this week and he felt it. <laughs> which is wonderful. He had Sarge come over and they're going to run some tests and little by little, surely he is going to be, he's on the road to walking again. And I think that Nikki has had a lot to do with that, being there to support him and pressure him to continue with the physical therapy. That I mean, that's Nikki. And, you know, there's... Nothing like a good romance to bring the tingle back into your toes, right? Are there any Victor and Sharon fans out there? I want to hear from you. Please leave me a comment if you are a Victor and Sharon fan and tell me what it is that you love about this couple. I'm open I'm not going to razz you for it. Nobody's going to, this is a safe place. <laughs> if you're feeling it, I want you to tell me why you're feeling it. Because it seems like everybody I've talked to is appalled <laughs> by by even the, the mere notion of Sharon and Victor, ugh, let alone them sleeping together. And here's my take on it. This is what I think. I think that both Sharon and Victor just don't want to be alone. They can't have who they really want to be with. Sharon wants Adam. Victor wants Nikki. And so they are falling into each other's arms. It's it's a, a second place for both of them. It seems convenient. Which, like, either of them could have so many people. So many people! <laughs> there would be women and men lined up to date either of them. Yet they choose the path of most resistance. It is so shocking to me. I just, and it's, especially since I think everyone in this foursome knows that everyone else is in love with someone else. Nikki knows that she's in love. Jack knows that Nikki's in love with Victor. Sharon knows that Victor's in love with Nikki. <laughs> Victor knows that Sharon's in love with Adam. The only one who's not in love like, no one's in love with Jack. <laughs> Nikki cares for him. I don't know if she's exactly in love with him. But everyone seems to know what's going on, and they just don't exactly acknowledge it. I think the hardest part for me is... It's, it's hard because Adam, I think, realizes that Victor and Sharon aren't real. I don't think it takes much to realize that Victor and Sharon are kind of um, just second place. That it's not really a grand love. But Sharon can see that something real 
has developed between Chelsea and Adam, and that's more heartbreaking. Thinking that Adam was just on the rebound would be one thing, but thinking that he's actually making a true connection with Chelsea is hard for her. It's 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 happening whether we I mean whether she likes it or not. <laughs> I'm a little I'm Chelsea was cute this week. She was very excited. She got a new job, so she was very bouncy and very positive, and Adam was very cutesy with her, and they shared a little smooch with which Sharon witnessed, and Adam was immediately like, awkward. <laughs> Acknowledging that it was awkward. <laughs> uh, it just... Sharon and Victor... It, I, I think, particularly for Sharon, I think that it is her complete motivation for the relationship with Victor. I think seeing Adam with Chelsea is completely why she's with Victor. I don't think that there's any passion. I don't, there was never any sudden realization of their feelings for each other. It's like, well, there's nothing better to do, so I might as well date Victor. Sure, it's going to piss some people off, but it'll at least get me some attention. It's, it's just, they are both such an obvious, for both of them, Victor and Sharon, it's just such an obvious booby prize. I mean, they had this romantic evening uh, where Victor bought Sharon a beautiful dress, and he sets up the champagne, and his classic Victor Newman romantic evening, and Sharon ended up falling asleep on the couch. They talked for a while and, and decided that they were just going to take it slow, but at the end of the day, they didn't sleep together, I don't think Sharon wanted to sleep with him. It just... <sighs> she says that she doesn't care what people think, but I think she clearly does care what people think. On the one hand, it seems as if she wants attention. She wants everybody to see her with someone. And on the other hand, I think she's ashamed of what she's doing. I think she's ashamed of what she's doing, and maybe she should be. I don't know. Noah is back in town. It was kind of nice to see Noah. It's been a while. Good old judgmental Noah. <laughs> Except he, he wasn't so judgmental this time around. He comes back into town, finds about what his mother is doing with his grandfather. And the poor kid, he must have just been biting his tongue. Because deep down, I know that he wanted to scream. But he has just realized that it's not healthy for him. He can't continue to try to tell everybody what they're doing wrong with their lives. His mother and father bed hop so often, and if he is going to go to battle on every single time that this happens, it's just going to exhaust him. It's just going to ruin his life. So he's come to the conclusion that he really can't continue down that path, which I'm proud of him for that, yet at the same time, I almost wish that he was opposing, because I just... Can you imagine... If your mother was sleeping with your grandfather, I mean, I want you to just imagine it in your own life for a moment. Put yourself in his shoes. Your mother is sleeping with your dad's dad. It's weird. <laughs> I am usually very open, you know, consensual. You know, it is consensual. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying it's weird. <laughs> And the person who should be the most upset is Nick. Nick deserves to be annoyed by this. Someone needs to put their foot down. Sharon should have enough respect for her, the father of her children to not date his father. And Victor should have enough respect for his son to not date his ex-wife. I can't even believe, it, it's shocking to me that it's, all happening. I'm gonna try to calm myself down about it. I just, I feel bad for Nick. It's like, someone needs to have some respect for him. Someone needs to have some respect for us. This is just weird. Hey, you gotta give YNR credit. They killed Cassie, but not a year has gone by where they have not had a memorial. They killed a kid, which was bold at the time. Still bold. Killing a kid? And they have never let us forget it. <laughs> it was such 
a defining moment in YNR. It was one of those like, oh, things. I remember looking at the screen and I didn't get any spoilers or anything at the time. I didn't, it wasn't belonging to any communities. It was just me sitting on the couch watching YNR. Could not believe that she died. It's no big deal. Like, people get in car accidents. People are in the hospital all the time. They don't die. I was shocked. I was like, really? Really? They killed Cassie? It was so... It was so shocking. And it was... It ended up being this totally integral moment in the history of the show. There are some times when things happen that change everything, that change the complete landscape of the show. There are things that happen in your lives, you know, don't you, if you think back on your own life, there are these defining moments where you look back and you go, that changed everything, and Cassie's death changed everything in YNR. That was it. It was just one of those critical moments. It affected Nick and Sharon's relationship. Nick pulled away from Sharon. He went to Phyllis. They had their romance. She got pregnant. Sharon drifted from man to man after that. And, I mean, it just had ripple effects throughout Genoa City. Daniel, oh my goodness, Daniel really, really kicked himself. I mean, at first, of course, Nick chased Daniel down through the ends of the earth. He wanted to, like, beat the crap out of him over what he did. There was just, it was just, it, it affected so many lives. And YNR never misses a year to uh, take a moment to let us remember that. I think the, in, the kind of different thing that they did this year was really focused in on Daniel and the way that he felt, because they always have Nick and Sharon remembering, but this time, Daniel remembered. He went to the graveside. He talked to Cassie. He, you know, really got in touch with how he felt about the situation, and it wasn't Daniel's fault. Daniel talked to Kevin, uh, you know, just to kind of get out the way he was feeling, and Kevin made the important point that it was Cassie's decision to get in the car that night. She had this huge crush on Daniel. Cassie was trying to assert herself as a young lady. She was wanting to wear makeup and go to parties, and she went out to this party. Daniel got all drunk. She had this huge crush on him. She wanted to drive him home. He was, I think, passed out in the back of his car. She took his keys and drove him and got in a wreck and died. And it wasn't Daniel's fault. And eventually Nick realized that. The family forgave him. Um, and at the very end of Thursday's show, the family had a gathering where everybody got together to remember Cassie, look at pictures, talk about her. The only one who wasn't there was Daniel. It was a very sad episode. The whole thing was sad. I watched it in the morning. I woke up in the morning, and the first thing I did was turn on that show, and I'm just crying. It was such a tearjerker. I'm like, oh, i got to get the Kleenex ready. I'm sobbing. Like, this is a bad day, a bad way to start the day. I'm going to have bags under my eyes. It's not going to be good. But it, it was good. It definitely hit, you know, an emotional spot. I just wonder, like, why do we always have to remember her death day. Can't we remember her birthday instead? It's just always so depressing. But at the same time, it also kind of served as this alternate universe day where everyone in the Newman family got along for once. They came together. Nick and Sharon were all, you know, both out to her grave, and then they went to a church to talk and say a prayer, and they remembered her, the little things about her, and they were getting along for a moment, and Nikki and Victor got along for a moment. Victor was at the gravesite. Nikki arrived, and they were both, they had a moment there. Victor reached out his hand, and she grabbed it, and they just had a, a brief remembrance there in front of the grave for Cassie, and um, just Noah went to the gravesite. Daniel went to the gravesite. It was, um, it was very, it was just very nice to see everybody getting along for a little bit, and, and I really did appreciate that Victor had a little surprise waiting for Sharon when she got home. He let her, he let himself into her house, which I think was, is weird. Like, you don't even want to get involved with Victor. He's just going to walk all over your life, Sharon. Anybody who just walks into your house, I don't like it. Victor, Victor thinks he's being romantic, but I'm sorry. I don't care who you are. 
You don't just walk into my house, even if it's like I'm making you dinner. <laughs> I don't care. You need to pre-approve a walk into my house with me. But <laughs> Victor just did it. He had a, a silver platter on the table and unveiled that he had his chef make Cassie's favorite meal. It was uh, fried chicken and macaroni and beans and uh, chocolate chocolate chip cookies for dessert. And I thought that that was very... Sweet. Uh, you know, it helped them remember her. And I, I, the only thing I guess that was missing was like, <laughs> why didn't Cassie come back as an angel and try to knock some sense into Sharon? They, Victor and Sharon had a conversation afterwards like, do you think Cassie would approve of this? And his, Victor's response, of course, trying to get what he wanted, was, I think Cassie would want you to be happy, Sharon. And I'm sure that that's true, but I just... I, th I can't help but think Cassie would have a little something to say about it. I'm surprised Noah didn't have anything to say about it. But it's just been really nice to see everyone getting along. Victor, maybe as a result of everything that happened with the family and remembering Cassie, he reached out to his own daughter, went to go see Victoria at the bookstore, and he said hi to his grandchild that he's now accepting. He actually bought the child a book. Uh, it was a book that he, I guess, used to read to Victoria when she was little, and he gave the same book to Johnny, and not only that, but he signed it. <laughs> Victor gave little Johnny an autographed copy. <laughs> there was a little inscription inside the book that said, you know, to... Johnny love grandfather or something like that, but it was just funny because he, he Victor go shows Victoria that he bought this book and then he opens up the front co cover and says, "I signed it." <laughs> he was so cute, but you know it was it was good. He reached out to Victoria, of course, tried to offer her a job, which she promptly turned down, which I'm sure was in her best interest. That was a good move on her part, but still, he's reaching out. I think probably thinking about how horrible it was. For Nick and Sharon to lose a child, and in many ways, he's lost Victoria, too. So he's building bridges to get back close to her again. And in, in general, it did seem like Cassie's death had a healing effect on everyone in the family. And it, it was nice to remember, too. Wyanar has always had that picture, that little drawing that Cassie made in the frame, in the background of Nick and Sharon's apartment. I think even when she went to go live with Adam at the hotel, she still had that drawing with her. And I guess if you weren't watching the show back then, you don't remember that drawing. But it was um, back when, well, Nick didn't accept Cassie as his daughter at first. It was, Cassie was Sharon's daughter from a, uh, I don't know if it was a rape scenario. I think she might have been raped to, and she kept the baby, and I think she gave the baby away for adoption, and eventually she went to find Cassie and brought her to live with uh, her and Nick, and Nick didn't necessarily like it at first. He d didn't want Sharon to have a child with someone else, and I think Sharon kept it from him as well, and he was very bitter about it at first, and so they had a rough road. Eventually, this cute little red-headed girl with freckles warmed up Nick's heart, warmed up everyone's heart. Of course, it made Sharon look like this pariah amongst everyone in the Newman family that she had this child out of wedlock and Nikki didn't like it, Victor didn't like it, but this child really warmed up them all, and eventually Nick decided to adopt her and make her her own, and it was a moment where Cassie made this drawing of her family. It was after Noah was born, and she uh, just drew her mom and her dad and her brother and her, and that picture still sits on the YNR set today. So you gotta give them some credit for always weaving that back in. They didn't kill a kid and then just forget it. They killed a kid and they won't let us forget it. Okay, my podcast friends. That's taken me just about to the end for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> I think it's been a pretty good week. Of course, I'm biased. I love the show. <laughs> uh, you know, my friend Gina actually reminded me that this week, actually yesterday, was my four-year anniversary for doing my YNR commentary. It started out, gosh, probably like, what do you think, 2007? 
2008 maybe um and it was may 26th probably 2008 and it started out as just a video vlog that i posted on youtube and it was so awkward for me at first because i had participated in forums and stuff like that to talk about YNR way back in the day but a long period of time went when i didn't comment on the show at all i just watched it at home and had my opinions to myself and i remember the day i set up the camera to just deciding that i wanted to do a vlog about YNR i remember how weird it was for me even to say the name Victor Newman out loud cuz i really had never before i'd never like really talked with anyone else about the show and I felt so embarrassed because it's such a geeky thing and I it's like I care about the show I really do care about the show I get into it I mean you know me I put it on I wear it I walk around in it <laughs> and it's it was so weird to actually kind of admit that <laughs> and I didn't know if anybody else would care what I had to say I didn't know if I would get flamed I didn't know if anyone would agree with me or if anyone would identify with me, but I kept doing it. It just felt good. I had opinions that I just really wanted to get out and I, at the time I really wanted to just experiment in video. And it's been gosh, I guess probably about through maybe two and a half or three years went by before I even added the podcast. I didn't I've only been doing the podcast for maybe a year and a half. Uh, and that that's just mostly because I became interested in podcasting and I thought, well, hey, I mean, might as well just add a podcast too. <laughs> so maybe some of you didn't know that I do a video component, but I do. You can always see me um doing the exact same thing. <laughs> I just I kind of record alternate endings for the video and the podcast, but the main content is the same if you want to see my mug, see my face <laughs> while I'm talking, you can always go to YouTube and just type in Allie's YNR chat or YNR chat. You'll find me. I know I'm confident that you can find me if you want to, but it's, you know, four years, four. It's kind of crazy. And it's coming at sort of an interesting time too, because I am going to be moving at the end of June. Oh, moving is... The suck. Moving really does suck. <laughs> but uh, I'm not looking forward to it at all. But I'm looking forward to getting to my new place. My new house is going to be wonderful and awesome. And I know I'm going to have a few quirks to work out. I haven't decided where I'm going to do my vlog and my podcast in the new house yet. But So it might actually take me some time to figure out what I'm going to do. And there might be a week... No more than a week, I'm hoping, of no communication from me. Because I, I can see on the week that I'm moving. Actually, I probably am going to be moving on a Sunday. So it's possible that you might not hear from me for a week. But I have full intention of being back. Hopefully, I mean, I'll keep the audio quality the same. The visual component will probably be different. I'll be in a different room. Uh, there'll be, you know, different chair maybe. <laughs> I don't know. We'll have to see. I'm working all that out. But even if I don't talk to you for a week, it I will be back. And we don't have to worry about that for a couple weeks yet. Um, like I said, it's not till the end of June, beginning of July, where there will be a gap. And I am will absolutely keep you updated uh, uh, about that as the time gets closer. And I'm sure knowing me, if I'm watching the show, I can't help but talk. So I'm sure I will find a way <laughs> to say what I need to say. <laughs> It's going to be good. It's going to be it. It's so just interesting that four-year anniversary and now it's kind of like new beginnings. Some endings and some new beginnings and I'm looking forward to that. And as always, I'm looking to forward to hearing what you guys have to say about the show this week. What do you think about Danny? What do you think about Christine? I thought, I'm kind of interested in that storyline. I think that's my favorite right now. I just, I love Ricky. I'm just so into it. And I am so curious to know if you guys are loving Ricky the way I am. How are you feeling about all of the stuff? There's lots of ways for you to leave me a comment. And um, the first one I think is the easiest one. You can call and leave me a voice comment. My voicemail number is area code 309 588-4569. It's within the U.S. if you're abroad, um, and, and then that's country code 1. 309-588-4569. 
Um, or you could go to my website and leave me a comment there. It's yrchatblog.blogspot.com. You can scroll down to the posting for this week's podcast and leave a comment there. Or you can always just email me directly. My email address is yrchatatlive.com. Either way, I love hearing from you. I love getting your comments. <laughs> it's always fun to hear what you guys are thinking. Let's see, what else? I think I had some. Oh, um, okay, well, this is just a little bit of a secret. I'm not going to talk ad, ad nauseum about it, but I have started watching The Bold and the Beautiful. I'm not going to do a podcast about it. I'm not going to talk about it, but I just... <laughs> an announcement that I have started watching it. I can't help myself. And primarily, I started watching it because so many characters from YNR have gone over there. It's an easy soap to pick up. I had some extra time. It's nice to see Brad again, Victoria, the original Victoria. Deacon is making his way over there now, out of jail, I think, and on to Bold and the Beautiful. And there's just a lot of familiar faces, which even, even like, you know, gosh, going all the way back to Nick and Sharon and Cassie and all that, uh, the girl who used to play Grace is uh, is on Bold and the Beautiful now. And I watched it a little bit back in the day. Um, so I'm, I'm familiar with the main players, but I'm not going to do a podcast about it. I swear. <laughs> I better not because I don't have time for that. But I am enjoying watching it. So just Bold and the Beautiful be- viewers know that I'm there with you in spirit now. And I think I'm going to keep up with it because it's short. It's pretty easy to watch. And um, I like it. <laughs> Okay, well, that is just about it for me for this week. Looking forward to hearing from you, hoping that you guys are enjoying it, and we'll chat again soon. Everybody have a great week. I love ya. I'll talk to you later. Bye.